as we continue a series of studies on the connection between prayer and the Holy Spirit. This series of messages is called By the Spirit, and that phrase is taken specifically from a passage in Zechariah, uh, the prophet Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, where the Lord spoke a word of encouragement to a leader of the Jewish people known as Zerubbabel, and he was, I hope I say that right, by the way, I don't know, Do you, does anybody know how to pronounce that name? <laughs> Zerubbabel. Um, anyway, uh, I, I, if, if any of you have named your child Zerubbabel, maybe you can clarify whether I'm saying it right. Um, Zerubbabel went to take all the rubble, which, which is interesting, you know, connection with his name, and to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and the Lord spoke to him a word of encouragement that really is the inspiration behind the title of this message series. The Lord said this in Zechariah 4, verse 6. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, Zerubbabel, you're not going to get the job done without my help. You're not going to get the job done in your own strength, not by your might or your power is the implication, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And quite honestly, I think those words apply for all of us, right? They weren't They were specifically given to Zerubbabel in that moment for the need and the challenge that he faced. But can you relate? Have you ever had to do something that you know you can't do yourself without God's help? Anybody? So it's by the Spirit, by the Spirit, that we have to learn to live and walk and act so that we can do things that we are incapable of doing by ourselves. And I want you to see with me in two passages of Scripture this morning a particular concept, a phrase that's used in Scripture that's very important for us to understand and experience, right? This is about more than just intellectual understanding. What I want you to think about this morning and what what I want to invite you into is the pursuit of, of an experience with God. Now, some people are funny about that. They think, well, we shouldn't want some experience. And they think or they suggest that it's wrong to seek a particular experience. But to the contrary, I think Scripture is pretty clear about the importance of this particular experience that we're going to talk about this morning. And that it's something each and every single one of us as followers of Jesus ought to be seeking regularly. So what is that experience? Well, let's take a look at two passages of Scripture, and there are others, but these are just two of the best in my mind, that speak to us about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, together with that, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Be very careful then, Paul says, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have two different passages of Scripture from the New Testament, two different authors, Luke and Paul, And yet we find in each passage a common phrase, a common thread that each one touches on and speaks to us about, the experience of being filled with the Spirit of God. We've talked quite a bit now about different dimensions of the ministry of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit as it's recounted for us throughout Scripture. And over these last six weeks or so, as we've uh, really pressed in on this theme, uh, we've, we've talked about lots of things that the Spirit does for us. But last week, we really began to uh, specifically focus on the connection between prayer and the presence of the Spirit at work in our lives. We looked specifically at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, where he teaches the disciples how to pray. And then at the end of that prayer, uh, encourages them to pray persistently. And then he says, and you'll remember, I hope, if you were here with us, the, the significance of these words. He says, the Father, your heavenly Father, loves to give good gifts to his children. And especially the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who ask of him. So we talked about the significance of asking for the presence of the Spirit, doing it routinely, making it a regular part of our interaction with God, our communication with God. Let me share with you a story this morning that illustrates the need for us to do this. And it's really a story that pulls together the theme of what we're studying 
with the role of motherhood, the demands of motherhood. Now, in this case, I'll admit, it's a bit of an unusual situation because what I'm going to read for you is an account written by a woman, a mother, serving on the mission field in Uganda. Her name is Jennifer Lawson, and she was invited by the ministry that she works with called Water Missions uh, to write about her experience as a mother on the mission field. Here's what she wrote. Not long ago, our family became a part of the wonderful team at Water Missions International. Our hearts were full and ready for the adventure of a lifetime. One water engineer, one registered nurse and full-time mom, and two wild and crazy boys. As I reflect back on all that God laid out in preparation, I'm reminded again of how richly blessed I am to be the wife and mother of this amazing unit. Motherhood in America was challenging enough. Amen? Hello? But then God called me to take it even further by mothering in a third world country. Three years ago, when we started this journey, God was working in our lives in so many ways, most of them unknown to us. We serve a God who sees the big picture. My mission as a mom had not really changed much since moving to Uganda. God called me to raise two energetic boys and to teach them to love him first. If anything, my mission has actually grown as God has added more people in my life who look to me as mom. As I write this blog, I have four girls living in our compound and about 20 ladies in my Bible study class and three workers that now call me mommy or auntie. Before we left for Uganda, I remember our pastor doing a Bible study and he asked us to memorize a verse of scripture. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. My firstborn, Wyatt, memorized this verse along with me and recited it to the church the following week. I don't tell you this because it was a proud mommy moment, though it was, but to explain that I could not comprehend at the time how much that verse would mean to me throughout this journey. God has truly done immeasurably more in the last two years than I could have ever asked or imagined. He has taught and is still teaching me to love as only he can love. When I say that while living in a developing country, Most people think I mean learning to love all the new people that God's put before us. And while that is very true, most of my learning is in how to adequately love my own husband and kids the way that God wants me to during this season. Day-to-day life for this mama on the mission field can be great, but it keeps me on my knees. There have been incredible challenges and changes. Right alongside uh, those come countless blessings. I've had to adapt to living on a compound. Our yard is surrounded by tall walls or fencing and has a big gate that's maintained by guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These guys and their families are great, and they've quickly become a part of our family. But it's been something to get used to. Shopping is always an adventure. I go to a central market for all my vegetables and to the supermarket in search of other items on the list. There's no easy cooking 
And for the most part, things here simply take lots of time. I've learned to make lots from scratch, and we've all tried tons of new interesting things. Fried grasshoppers, anyone? I had the privilege of starting a ladies' Bible study in the village of Mutai. Their day-to-day circumstances are very different than what I'm used to, and they have very different strongholds they deal with. But God has grown me while trying to speak truth to them during this time. I also teach ballet to roughly 23 girls a week. I was never a ballet teacher in the States, but I did take ballet for quite some time while growing up. In the eyes of these sweet little girls who just want to twirl, learn the basics, and have some fun, I'm more than qualified. God has given me this time to love on these girls, which is nice considering that I'm the only girl in my own household. I love the fact that God has not just stretched me as a mom to my own kids, but stretched me to love as a mom to so many others as well. No matter where God puts us as moms, we have the privilege of striving to be not just a mom on a mission for our own families, but also a mom with a mission for God's family, however that may look. Being a wife and a mom in a different country has been the most trying year and a half in my life, and yet it's also been the most rewarding. I would not trade being a mom for anything in this world as it is one of the highest callings from God for my life. Being a mom in Uganda has stretched and grown me immeasurably more, and for that I am so grateful. So I share that story with you by way of illustration, right? Jennifer is writing about her need to experience the presence and power of God's Spirit at work in her life. Just to be a mom. Certainly to be a mom on the mission field, but just to be a mom and a wife in her own family. She's learned to become more dependent on the presence of God's Spirit. So this morning, with the time we have together, let me encourage you to ask of God, to seek, to keep asking and imagining what life might be like if you were to become more dependent on God's presence and power. Let me encourage you to keep seeking to be filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. For whatever challenge you face, whether as a mom or a dad or a worker, an employee, a neighbor, in every realm of life, we face things that require God's help, God's presence, and God's power. And he longs to grant that if we'll seek it. So what we've seen over these last several weeks as we've talked about the ministry of the Spirit is um, that, that there are a variety of ways in which the, the nature and the capability of the Spirit is referred to and described throughout Scripture. But what I find unique and compelling and inviting about these particular passages is this experience of the fullness of the Spirit that's referred to and described for us. 
Again, these are not the only two passages that refer to that, and we'll look at a few others by way of example as well. But let's talk for a few minutes about this experience and how it is that we might have this experience of being filled with the Spirit a bit more often, a bit more frequently. So what is it? What is it that Luke and Paul are describing? Let me put it to you this way. Seeking the fullness of the Spirit empowers us to do things beyond our own natural ability. That's the most basic takeaway these two passages offer us. For in each case, the authors are describing things that happen and only happen when the fullness of the Spirit is granted to God's people. You see, what Luke and Paul share here is a basic understanding of how the Spirit of God works in and through people's lives. And that understanding gave each of them an expectation that God would continue to grant more of the Spirit to those who recognize their need for it with a posture of humility and dependence. So what they're inviting us into is an ongoing experience. This phrase, filled with the Spirit, is not a reality that we live in 24-7. It's an experience that we can visit and revisit routinely. But it's not where we live our lives all the time. Perhaps it won't surprise you to know that, that Pentecost, which we celebrate together next Sunday, is, is known, commonly known as the first occasion on which the fullness of the Spirit, or being filled with the Spirit, was experienced more broadly by a large number of Jesus' disciples. Before that time, it was referred to, but it was referred to less commonly. It was less available, we might say. It was generally, uh, generally reserved for more specific and special circumstances. But the term was used before we get to Acts 2 in the biblical story. Let me give you a couple of examples to show you how Luke used this term long before he described the events that took place on Pentecost Sunday. In fact, there are three examples, interestingly enough, in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, long before the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. Look at these three references, all of which use the same phrase that's used in Acts 2 and again in Acts 4 and in multiple other places. Luke chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. The very beginning of the story is really not so much about Jesus just yet, but about John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus. And Luke here is writing about the birth of John and the life of John, and he says in Luke 1, 14 to 16, speaking... Um, of uh, what was spoken to John's parents, he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That's a pretty amazing statement, I think. John 
will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, I think in this case, there's an indication that John perhaps experienced the fullness of the Spirit a little bit more frequently, a little bit more consistently than your average Joe or Jill. He was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. And I think for John that that fullness was was something that he encountered and lived in, perhaps by God's grace, more routinely than most, certainly in that era. But in that sense, John was a forerunner, right? He He was pointing to a new era that was about to begin with the coming of God's kingdom in the ministry of Jesus. Now, just a a bit further along in Luke's account, you'll see two other examples where Luke uses the exact same phrase. Reference Luke 1, verses 39 to 45. And this is about Elizabeth, John's mother. At that time, Mary got ready. She hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. This is after she discovered that she was pregnant. And she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, this is John, leaped in her womb. And listen to this. Luke says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In that moment, in that moment, John flips a little somersault in her stomach because Jesus is in the womb of Mary and they've come near to one another. An amazing picture. And we're told Elizabeth is suddenly, instantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. So here it is, right? Elizabeth, in that moment, filled with the Spirit, proclaims a blessing over Mary. Now, just a little further along, in the same chapter, we read the same phrase describing what happens to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. John's father. Luke 1, 66 to 68. Everyone who heard this wondered about it. This is John's birth. And, you know, that Zechariah, of course, was silent. He couldn't speak until John was born. And then when he was born, he declared that his name would be John. Maybe you remember parts and pieces of that story. Everyone who heard about John's birth wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? They knew there was something different, something special about this baby. For the Lord's hand was with him. And his father, Zechariah, listen to this, was filled with the Spirit and prophesied. In that moment, filled with the Spirit, everyone's asking, who's this child going to become? What's happening with this child? And Zechariah, in that moment, is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesies. And you can read that prophecy beginning in verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. I won't read the whole thing for the sake of time. But Zechariah is given a word of prophecy to declare 
under the influence of the fullness of the Spirit in that moment. So what I'm trying to illustrate for you here with these three references is that there's a theme at play, right? Luke is saying in three different places just in the first chapter of his gospel that the fullness of the Spirit is an experience given to people at certain times and for certain reasons as God chooses. So what does this tell us about Luke's understanding of the Spirit and and what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I think it tells us that, that this is not so much a permanent endowment, but it's a momentary and fleeting experience that was granted by God to certain individuals on very special occasions for good reason. In other words, it was, it was an experience, at, at least at that time, of limited availability until Pentecost happened. So now we fast forward to the beginning of Acts, which is, of course, the second part of Luke's account, right? Same author, Acts chapter 2, the first four verses, and we'll talk more about this next Sunday. When the day of Pentecost came, Luke writes, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here you find the same phrase that we just saw used three times in Luke chapter 1. Luke uses it again here in Acts chapter 2 to describe what happened on the day of Pentecost. So what changed, I think, at Pentecost was the commonality of this experience. God opened it up more broadly than it had been available before. On that occasion, and from then on, the fullness of the Spirit was given to multiple people at the same time and given more frequently, more commonly. With Pentecost, it became an experience that God wanted all of his people to have more often and more consistently. And so then, throughout the book of Acts, Luke uses the same phrase or a variant of it on multiple occasions. In fact, if you look closely, there are at least nine different occasions in the book of Acts where Luke uses the exact same phrase. Someone was filled with the Spirit or someone was full of the Spirit. And those are just the obvious ones. There are other allusions that might hint at the same concept. So in each case, people are described as being filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit. And then Luke tells us what happened how the Spirit empowered them uniquely to do something beyond their own ability while acting under the influence of the fullness of the Spirit in that moment. What I'm saying amounts to this. This is a significant phrase and a significant theme for Luke, one that he repeats frequently to describe how followers of Jesus are able to do certain things that otherwise would be unattainable to them. And all of this, I think, serves as helpful background 
and context for the specific reference that we're looking at in Acts chapter 4. So here, in Acts 4, the disciples are faced with the threat of persecution and imprisonment. The Jewish authorities are after them, right? Peter and John have already been hauled in and questioned, interrogated, thrown in in prison. Then they're released. They go back to the other disciples, and they all huddle up and decide, well, what are we going to do? They've told us we can't talk about Jesus anymore. They've told us to stop proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What are we going to do? They've threatened to throw us in jail. They've threatened to punish us and persecute us. What are we going to do? So what do they do? They call the prayer meeting. We don't know what to do. We need to pray. Let's seek the Lord. Let's ask him what we should do. So they call a prayer meeting. They cry out to heaven for the power of God to give them boldness and power, which they would otherwise be incapable of, apart from God's help. And what happens? They get filled with the Spirit again. I love this. The results of this simple prayer meeting are described in a way that I think are absolutely astounding. I mean, have you ever gone to a prayer meeting where you prayed with some other people and the room was shaken? Have you ever gone to a prayer meeting where where you knew that you were filled with the Spirit of God and you walked away with a fresh boldness to proclaim the gospel? Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. How can you read that and not be moved? Like, this is amazing. And and notice a few things about this statement that are really significant with me. First of all, notice that these are the same guys who were previously filled just a few chapters ago back in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Same guys being filled again, again. So think about what that means. It means they didn't stay filled, right? They got filled again. So this is an experience people can revisit on multiple occasions. It's not just a one-time deal. You don't get filled and stay there for the rest of your life. Yes, you have the presence of the Spirit dwelling within you, but that's not the same thing as being filled with the Spirit. What Luke's implying with this phrase is that the early disciples were filled and then refilled on multiple occasions. And let's be clear here. This does not mean that the Spirit left them. It just means that their experience of being filled with the Spirit didn't last indefinitely. It was fleeting. It was momentary. This phrase describes a qualitative difference that was perceptible to them. It's about quality, not quantity, right? The Holy Spirit is always with you. His full presence is always in you, right? He's made your life his dwelling place. And it's not like, you know, one moment you just get a tiny little piece of him and then the next 
you know, you, you get the rest, right? It's not like parts and pieces of the Spirit come and go from your life. What's being described is a qualitative difference, not a quantitative difference. The Spirit is always with us, but from time to time, we experience the fullness of the Spirit in a tangible way. And that's a beautiful thing to be desired and sought. So this phrase then describes a qualitative difference, an experience that's perceptible to men and women of God. When we pray and ask for more of the Spirit's presence, we're asking for this experience. God, would you come and fill me with your presence? Fill me with your power so that I can do with your help what I can't do otherwise. What we're really asking is that the power of the Spirit would be released to us and made known to us in a more tangible way. What's interesting to me, too, about this particular example in Acts 4, oh, by the way, is that they didn't really even ask for the fullness of the Spirit. What they asked for was to be able to do things that they couldn't do apart from the fullness of the Spirit. So you had to, they had to receive the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, to be able to speak in boldness with no fear. Now, the other critical thing to notice about this phrase in Acts 4.31 is what brought about the experience and what resulted from it. What brought it about? Corporate prayer. Corporate prayer. It was after they prayed, Luke says, that the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled. Again, as I said earlier, does does that sound like the kind of prayer meeting that you might want to be involved in, that you might not want to miss? Here's the trouble. You never know beforehand which prayer meeting is going to turn out like this, right? So you might as well go to all of them. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes God just shows up and everything changes and other times it just feels like a prayer meeting, you know? You can't predict when the fullness of the Spirit's going to be released to you like this. I, I think it's remarkable, actually. You look at the prayer and there doesn't seem to be anything like crazy about it. It's a good prayer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing the way they prayed, but it's not like there was some kind of special sauce on that prayer, right? They just got together and prayed. Lord, we need your help. Lord, we're up against it here. We don't know what to do. We need boldness. We don't want to be afraid. So their prayer was rather simple and straightforward. It it didn't seem to have anything extra special about it. It was matter of fact. Here's the deal, God. We need your help. And boom, they got it. But then look at the results. Look at the, not just what provoked this experience of the fullness of the Spirit, but what resulted from it. I mentioned this already. Not only was the room shaken, but I think what's even greater than that, although that would be quite an experience, is that they were given boldness to proclaim the Word of God, the good news. The disciples, Luke says, spoke the word of God boldly. Stuff happened, right? They were fearless to proclaim who Jesus is and what Jesus had done. 
stuff happened. So that brings us then to Paul's words in Ephesians 5. It's a two-point sermon, one point from each passage. We've looked at Acts chapter 4. We've talked about the, the sense in which Luke uses this phrase, filled with the Spirit, and describes an experience that the disciples had on multiple occasions. And it seems as if prayer is connected to that experience. It might happen randomly. It might happen when you don't expect it. But it's more likely to happen, it seems, when you pray and seek it and ask for it. Now, I want you to notice what Paul says in Ephesians 5 and how it connects with Luke chapter, or with Acts chapter 4. Let's turn back to Paul's words here in Ephesians 5. Again, verses 15 to 17. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, let's just stop right there a minute before we get to verse 18. Do those words in verses 15 to 17 sound appealing to any of you? Let me, let me rephrase. I don't, I'm not sensing a lot of enthusiasm here. Would it be helpful to you to have greater wisdom to be able to make the most of every opportunity and to understand what the Lord's will is? Anybody want those things? Does that sound good? Anybody here feel confident and capable of living that way all the time? That's what I thought. How do we do it? How do we do it? How, do we, how are we supposed to do this, be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I think verse 18 is the answer to the question, how do you do it? How do you walk in wisdom? How do you make the most of every opportunity? How do you know what the Lord's will is so that you can do it? By being filled with the Spirit. So then we come to verse 18, Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Same phrase that we've just seen used repeatedly in Luke and in Acts. Same phrase, same concept, same experience. But Paul adds something here to our understanding that's really important and really helpful. You see, what's particularly helpful and insightful about Paul's words here in Ephesians 5.18 is this. If you look closely at the structure of this admonition in the Greek language, the original language in, in which it was written, you'll quickly see that the verb tense Paul uses is of great importance. And I like right now, I'm sure all your Eyes are starting to glaze over and, you know, here goes the Greek, you know, Greek again. It's all Greek to me. But it actually matters. And in this case, it's really cool. Hang with me here. 
In fact, I wish, actually, that the translators of the NIV would have made this clear in how they translate the verse, because I think it would speak to us more clearly had they done that. But what I want you to know, what I want you to understand is that the verb Paul uses, be filled, I won't even bother you, you know, to tell you what the Greek phrase is, but the verb that's translated be filled is used in the ongoing imperative sense. In other words, for those of you that aren't language scholars, this is something we have to keep on doing. It's as if, translated literally, the verse would say, don't just be filled, keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's the literal meaning of Paul's words in the Greek language. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Keep after it. Don't give up. Seek it consistently. Keep on being filled. How's that for a word of advice and encouragement? In fact, if you consider the analogy that Paul refers to here, I think it's a helpful way to get the drift of what he's saying. Don't keep on being filled and becoming drunk on wine, but instead keep on drinking of the presence of the Spirit, allowing it to fill you so that you can be filled with the Spirit's power and influence again and again and again and again. So what's your favorite drink? I'm hoping for most of you it's not wine. So I'll allow you the uh, creative, you know, artistic freedom here to think outside the box of what Paul writes. And just imagine your own favorite drink. Insert your own favorite drink here. How do you feel when you drink that something special? How much do you desire to experience that feeling again and again and again? For me, it used to, I'm true confessions here, for me it used to be the vanilla bean latte at Big B. This is a vanilla latte unlike any other, I'm telling you. And right, Gerald, you know this? It is good. And so, you know, I mean, I, I, honestly, I can't afford to have a vanilla bean latte every day or even once a week, but I look forward to the next opportunity whenever it may come my way because it's a drink I like to enjoy again and again. It makes me feel good. I like the smell. I like the taste. I like the warmth as it goes down my throat. It's just a beautiful thing, right? I know I'm getting carried away here. I'm trying to make a point. Hang with me. If you enjoy any particular drink, how much more should you enjoy and seek drinking in the fullness of the Spirit? That's the point that Paul's making. How much more should we be filled with the Spirit than with a beverage? Essentially, he's saying no other drink can really compare with being filled by the Spirit. Nothing. And to drink of the Spirit is an experience that you should want over and over again. There's nothing wrong with that. 
That's a good thing to desire. In fact, if you think about this comparison that Paul makes with being drunk on wine, there's really an implication here that the fullness of the Spirit even alters our consciousness, like drunkenness, but in a positive way, not a negative way. To be filled with the Spirit and keep on being filled is to seek to live more and more in a state of altered consciousness. Can I say it that way without sounding weird? It's a state of altered consciousness where the Spirit is influencing and governing your mind and your actions. That's a beautiful thing. But it's not how we normally live our lives, is it? So the result of being under the influence of the Spirit in this sense is not bad things like debauchery, the example Paul gives, but but good things like salvation and healing and deliverance. Those are the kinds of things that happen. Proclamation of the gospel. These are the kinds of things that happen when you're under the influence of the Spirit. You get extra grace when you need it. And you're tempted instead to be judgmental or angry. You get extra peace when you might otherwise feel prone to anxiety or fear. You get extra wisdom when you have a really difficult decision to make and you have no clue what to do. You're facing a problem that's beyond your own capability to solve. To be under the influence of the Spirit is to become capable of what you could never otherwise do by yourself. That's the point. And so I just want to put before you as we wrap things up here, now that the kids have come back to join us, that's my clue to wind it down and transition into ministry time. I just want to put before you an invitation to ask the Lord for more. More. You know, some of you, um, like me, enjoyed... uh, Seeing Oliver, the production that several of our kids were in. And the whole story turns on this interaction at the very beginning. You'll remember the storyline of Oliver Twist. The whole odyssey begins with a simple request. Sir, may I have some more, please? More! (laughs) And of course, the headmaster of of the orphanage is outraged that, that Oliver would ask for more food. That's not the kind of headmaster in charge of our lives. He's delighted when we ask for more. God, the God of heaven and earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, reigning over all of creation, looks down on your life and he says, please, please, would you ask for more of me? Would you invite me to fill you so that I can do in you what you can never do by yourself? I love the way that Mark Batterson talks about this in the book that we went through back a year or so ago called Draw the Circle. It's a devotional book about prayer. And I'll just share with you a quote in closing this message down this morning. On page 45, he says, Sometimes we're afraid of praying for miracles because we're afraid that God won't answer. But the answer isn't up to us. 
We never know if the answer will be yes or no or not yet. But the answer isn't up to us. It's not our job to answer. It's our job to ask. And Jesus exhorts us to ask. These three words, ask, seek, and knock, are present imperative verbs. Just like the verb Paul uses in Ephesians 5. Present imperative. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. In other words, they aren't something we do once. They're actions that are repeated over and over and over again. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. His encouragement applies directly if you want to keep on being filled with the Spirit. When's the last time you can point to in your life when you knew that God had filled you with his presence to do something that you couldn't otherwise do? I hope it wasn't decades ago. I'd like to hope and pray that we could all get to the point where we can remember the last time and it wasn't that long ago. But that only happens, friends, if we press in, if we continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock, continue to desire another drink. That the Spirit of the living God would fill us so that we can live our lives under his influence. I hope that sounds inviting and appealing to you. Let's pray.